Welcome to episode one of the Atlanta Gladiators podcast. I'm Mike Fulton. I'm the director of broadcasting and communications with the Glads, and we are excited to bring you this new medium of Gladiators content. We'll be telling stories, supplying team updates, and we'll look around the ECHL, and we're going to have fun doing it. So our first interview here on the Atlanta Gladiators podcast is coming up in just a few moments. That will be with the head coach of the Glads, Jeff Pyle. But first, let's start out with some big news that dropped a couple of weeks ago. Anyang Hala, a Korean professional team, will be coming through to Atlanta along with the Greenville Swamp Rabbits to take part in the Atlanta Hockey Showcase 2021. That's Anyang Hala, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits, and the Atlanta Gladiators. Those three teams will take part in two games coming up on October 15th and October 16th. That's a Friday, Saturday. It's going to be a fun start to the weekend as we kick off with some preseason exhibitions. We're going to have a season ticket holder event on that Friday where season ticket holders can come by, pick up their season tickets uh, for the season, have some drinks, some light hors d'oeuvres, mingle with the other season ticket holders. It's going to be a really fun event. That's going to be the prelude to the game on the 15th. That's when Greenville and Ang Yang Hala will play, and then the Gladiators will play uh, Hala on the 16th that Saturday. Both those games at 7.30. So just a little bit of background on Anyang Hala. It's uh, the oldest professional hockey team in South Korea, one of three pro teams in the country. Uh, they take part in the Asia League, and they've been really successful at that level. They've won the Asia League six times since uh, the 2010 season. Uh, it, just kind of describing the Asia League, there's one other Korean team in there, five Japanese teams. That's a spot where hockey's really starting to take off. Uh, and then one Eastern Russia team in that Asia League. They had their 2021-2022 season canceled due to COVID. But now, Anyang Hala, man, these guys want to keep playing. And so they're coming over here to the Peach State and to Gas South Arena to take part in the Atlanta Hockey Showcase 2021. And what makes it a really cool event is that you know, there's obviously a very large international population here in Atlanta, here in Gwinnett County as well. In fact, Gwinnett County has the 10th highest Korean population of any U.S. counties, you know, looking from coast to coast. So it's a really cool event to kind of embrace our Korean community here uh, in Atlanta and in the Gwinnett area as well. That's coming up on the 15th and 16th of October, the Atlanta Hockey Showcase. So that is the preseason kind of look for the Gladiators that they'll have. They'll get to play uh, a team in Anyang Hollow with really a, a lot of international experience, not just within the Asia League itself, but a lot of the players, these South Korean players uh, on this Anyang Hala club are also players for the South Korean national team. So those guys have seen international hockey at a very high level. Really cool event coming up. We do want to mention some of the player signings that the Glads have been firing off. In fact, we're going to go through all of them in part. The roster is still being shaped by head coach Jeff Pyle, but over the past few weeks, the Glads have been signing players left and right. Let's start out with the most recent signing, and we're just going to go through all these really quickly here and then get you Jeff Pyle and that interview in just a few moments. But the most recent signing was the first goaltender signed by the Glads. Chris Nell will join the Gladiators this season. Nell spent last season in the AHL, played a handful of games, and 
He was with the Glats for 24 contests back in the 2019-2020 season, and he played really well, especially uh, in the very late stages of that year that ended up getting cut short due to COVID. Nell was unbeaten in his last four starts, and that was part of the Gladiators' 10-game unbeaten streak at the very end of the season. So Chris Nell, the only goaltender that's been signed so far here by Atlanta. Derek Topatic, a right-handed defenseman, was signed a few weeks ago. And then Josh and Dalton Thrower, the Thrower brothers, not twins, two years apart, both right-shot defensemen. They're expected to play a large role on the blue line. They play hard and heavy, although Coach Pyle will mention here later on in the interview, he doesn't expect those two just to fight the whole times and run around. He expects them to kind of lead the way a little bit uh, in that defensive core for the Glads. Tim Davison and Greg Campbell, two more young defensemen that are supposed to add a lot of skill and speed to that blue line. Davison in particular, he played with the Greenville Swamp Rabbits and the Indy Fuel last season. Campbell played with the Gladiators back in 2019-2020. Then a couple of local products are on that, in that decor as well here for Atlanta. Zach Yoder and Malcolm Hayes. Yoder out of Woodstock and Hayes out of Dekula. A couple of right-shot defensemen, and it's really cool just to, to see the fruits of the Atlanta hockey community kind of making it up to the professional levels as well. Those two were the first two that were announced earlier in the summer. So that's the defensive group that's been signed so far. And again, there are more signings that are coming on the way here over the next coming weeks as we finish out September and move into October. We'll get you those as they come here on the podcast. Uh, but that's the Gladiators blue line for now. On to the forward units. Uh, the Gladiators traded for Hugo Waugh. Avery Peterson goes down to the Florida Everblades, and Waugh comes over. A right-handed shot. Waugh is... Expected to play a big part in this attacking group here for Coach Jeff Pyle. And I had a chance to watch this kid in Florida last year. And the word that Brad Ralph, the head coach of the Florida Everblades, used to describe Waugh was explosive. Both his shot and his speed. This kid is a game breaker. And he's going to be really fun to watch. Another player comes over from Florida. Luke Nogard signed uh, with the Gladiators here this summer. Nogard played with the Everblades this past season, and he's as tough as they come, a very athletic forward, and he's a guy who will be competing here to try and break the AHL camp with the Belleville Senators prior to the start of the season. Tommy Bezinger, another right-handed forward who signed with the Glads. Lots of speed and skill, a bit of a smaller frame, but he's fun to watch with the puck. Matt Wedman is a name that you will either hear a lot or you won't hear any of it all. There's really no in-between. And that's because uh, Matt Wedman is a guy who's expected to, to have a pretty good run at making the AHL team uh, up in Belleville, Ontario. And if Wedman does stay down here with the Glads, he's expected to be a big part of the offense. Played with Greenville in a handful of games last season. Tyler Coburn, a young guy, his second-year pro comes to the Glads after spending last year with the Tulsa Oilers. Cameron Nault, another young, fun forward. He's has some AHL experience under his belt, and once again, he's expected to be a heavy contributor in that top six for Coach Jeff Pyle. Now things kind of start to get fun here. If they weren't already, uh, Cody Sylvester, Mike Pellick, and Derek Nesbitt, three veteran guys 
that are going to be huge pieces in this Gladiators locker room and on the ice as well. Sylvester's been in Europe the last few years. He came back to North America last season, uh, led the Wheeling Nailers in scoring, put up 45 points um, last season on a team that really struggled. Uh, I should add that as well. But uh, he's a veteran guy that's been around, produced at, at both in North America and in Europe. He comes over. Mike Pellick, I mean, he is a huge playmaker. He has been in the ECHL for some time now. He ranks third in the ECHL in assists and 13th in total points. So that kind of tells you a little bit the scope of his handiwork. Uh, He has made a living getting scorers the puck in dangerous areas. And then, of course, Derek Nesbitt, uh, captain gladiator. He's been the captain the last few years here at Atlanta. Leads the franchise in all-time points, goals, games played. I mean, the superlatives with him go on and on. And he will be honored on opening night, uh, the home opener for the Glads on October 29th. The Gladiators will be celebrating Nesbitt's 300th professional goal that he was able to tally last season. So that rounds out the signings. And, again, we'll go more into depth into these guys as we interview them and talk more about them as the season gets closer and closer but just wanted to kind of run through the list of names that Coach Jeff Pyle has accumulated so far. Moving on here to our next segment. If somehow you missed it, the Glads are now affiliated with the Ottawa Senators in the NHL. This is a great opportunity here for the Glads to be connected to a pipeline of young players that is just flush with talent. Now, the Senators have not had a ton of success at the NHL level over the past couple of seasons. Uh, This past year, they finished second to last in the North Division. Of course, the NHL did that whole realignment act. The Ottawa Senators were placed in the North Division with all the Canadian teams. They finished second to last in that division, although they did finish 7-2-1 in their last 10 games of the year. So they finished very strong, and they were able to get a lot of those young players that they've had in their pipeline some experience And if you look at really any publication who's worth their salt, they consistently rank the Ottawa Senators as one of the most promising developmental programs in the NHL right now. That means they have the best young players coming up through the ECHL and AHL levels. And, of course, the Gladiators are now a part of that program as well. This is a a segment that we will consistently have on this podcast here moving forward. We'll call it the Sens segment. Why not? Some alliteration in there for you. But we do want to touch on some of the news, the big news items that have happened here over the past couple of weeks with the Senators just to keep you up to date on everything that's happening up in Ontario. Uh, The general manager, Pierre Dorian, has been extended through the 2024-2025 season with an option for one more. He was originally named the general manager in 2016, and his first year the club uh, made it all the way to the conference finals, and they've struggled a little bit since then, which kind of gives the illusion that this extension is a direct reflection of where Eugene Melnick, the owner of the Senators, thinks that this developmental program, which the Glads are now a part of, is at right now because the product on the ice at the NHL level has struggled over the past couple of years, but it is this pipeline of young talent that everyone is excited about in Ottawa, and you have to think that that's a big reason why Dorian gets the extension out for the next couple of seasons. 
Continuing on in the contract talks here with the Senators, uh, Drake Batherson, a young forward, just recently signed a six-year, $30 million contract. It's a bit below a $5 million average annual value. It's only a $2.5 million cap hit in the 2021-2022 season, so that leaves some space for the Senators uh, to go after some more pieces here this upcoming year. Batherson, only 23 years old. Uh, this past season in the shortened campaign for the Senators, 56 games, he put up 34 points. And that was his first real full season in the NHL. He's another one of these guys who is a product of this developmental system here with Ottawa. Uh, he played multiple seasons with the AHL affiliate, the Belleville Senators. That's about a couple hours away from Ottawa, still in the Ontario province up in Canada. Uh, but Batherson, another guy who came up through the minors and now signed a $30 million ticket uh, with the NHL club. So that wraps up our Sens segment here. This will be an ongoing segment, like we mentioned, and we'll keep you up to date on all the affiliates' uh, goings-on at the NHL and the AHL level as well. And that means it's time to bring you our interview with head coach Jeff Pyle. But before we do, we do want to thank our partner, Orthosport and Spine Physicians, Orthosport and Spine Physicians is now the official team doctor of the Gladiators as well as the naming partner for the Glad's Home Ice at Gas South Arena. Orthosport and Spine Physicians specializes in providing state-of-the-art, minimally invasive treatments for complex neck and spine problems as well as sports-related injuries and conditions. They also serve patients who travel to our office, their office from other areas in the southeast and throughout the country, let them help you get back in the game. And now, with over 1,000 ECHL games coached, over 530 wins, and entering his 15th year as the head coach for the Gladiators franchise, Jeff Pyle. Well, we're now joined by the head coach and director of hockey operations for the Atlanta Gladiators, Jeff Pyle. Coach, thanks for joining us here. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's almost a little hard to believe that hockey season is starting back up again here in Atlanta. Obviously, the Gladiators taking uh, the 2020-21 season off, opting out. Uh, is it a little hard to believe? Does it feel a little weird kind of getting things revved back up again? Yeah, it's, uh, it was crazy being out. Um, it, was, it was tough because it was kind of a – you knew you had to be out, but you're just not used to it, so it's just, you're just trying to – it was kind of like uh, Ricky Bobby when he was interviewed. He didn't know what to do with his hands. That's kind of the way I felt. I <laughs> yeah. uh, just didn't know what to do. Just, you know, went back to just uh, working a little bit at the ice for him, learned to drive the Zamboni, just wanted to keep busy, you know. Um, and that's what I did. And then all of a sudden I was in a situation after that where um, I decided we were getting started up. So, you know, that started to vamp up a little bit. So that was exciting and got back to work and was – starting to do hockey stuff and it felt really uncomfortable yeah. so it was kind of weird so you uh, learned how to drive the zamboni was that just something you just wanted to learn how to do because you had the time or yeah it's pretty much what it was i figured <laughs> they were shorthanded and they just said uh i was talking to benny ellis who i'd worked with in evansville and he was working over there and he goes man we're shorthanded we don't have any zamboni drivers and i said i've never done that and i said I'm, i should give jeremy a call and i said hey i've never done it if you're shorthanded i can help out until you guys get caught up or whatever and i started doing it and i really liked it is yep. it tough? Is it is it hard to do? No, it's you, it's you put pressure on yourself because you think you're going to run into the walls. Well, you do. You're going to run into the walls no matter what you do. It's not perfect, but if you're just a little bit careful and you take your time, 
it's just a job that there's a lot more to it than you think. Like you know, right. if you can mess up the ice if you you drop can mess that up the ice uh, if it fills and uh, and uh, the the augers clog because right. it's too full, it'll stop, and then you got to turn everything off and you got to get off the ice right away. And the first time it happened to me, I almost pooped my pants because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I've got it off the ice, and, and you, you go through some stuff that's it just about gives you a heart attack because you don't want to ruin the ice. You don't want something to happen. And then every once in a while, there'll be somebody on the ice. Like one time Jeremy was going to jump up on the Zamboni with me as I was going around, you mm-hmm. know, and I'd been doing it for a while, but all of a sudden he disappeared on one side. And I didn't want to. And I didn't know. I didn't want to turn because he walked around the Zamboni, yeah, and I yeah. wasn't sure if he was out of the way. So I kind of had to go straight, and I kind of slid, and I hit the boards a little bit. And he's like, well, "You can't do that." And I said, "Well, don't jump on the effing machine while I'm driving it." You know, yeah. like you didn't want to turn him into a piece yeah, of the ice. Yeah, right? well, sorry, yeah, yeah. And it was it's it's dangerous at times because yeah. it's a big machine. And it's worth a lot of money, and if you're not careful, you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do want to talk more about um, kind of you in this past, you know, season of life here, not playing this past year. But I also want to, you know, mention a little bit things that are going on right now because the Gladiators are gearing back up. We seem to have these uh, signings, these player announcements every day. It feels like, or at least a couple a week. Uh, the roster is starting to take shape. What can you kind of tell us about the? the way that the lineup is forming right now and, and the way it's shaped? Um, I've always been uh, – I like to have teams that are hard to play against. and It, it doesn't mean you know, we're only going to play defense or anything like that, but I don't like to open up. If you play smart and you play hard and everybody buys in, um, you can beat anybody at any time. That's always been the way I feel. And uh, So when we went in the playoffs or anything, if we were eighth, sixth, it didn't matter. We could beat anybody at any time, and that's the way I feel. So when we – kind of had the rights to everybody and I'll go back to two years ago two years ago we had a really good team at the start it blew up because of the Nashville situation so we had to rebuild and at Christmas uh, we were probably the worst team in the league the second half of the season we were probably the best team in the league and, and it wasn't because of me it was because the guys bought in and everybody just kind of understood that if we all did our job and we kept our mouth shut and didn't take stupid penalties and our power play was good and penalty kill was good we can win because that's kind of been the recipe for success for years, you know. So with that said, we finished that first year, and I wanted to upgrade. So I upgraded with some toughness. We brought Collins in. We, you know, Nelson, you know, was a physical guy. Um, Josh Thrower, you know, we went just kind of a little bit of a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston did a great job of giving us good kids. And then we filled in with, I stole Luke Nogard uh, <laughs> back from U- Europe. And so we just kind of, really started to gel the second half of the season and i mean really gel yeah um so we were really excited about that and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and shut us down and we had just gotten pavel shin at the time and down from boston and i don't know what that kid brought with him but the energy he had and when we saw that he was that kind of the missing piece of the puzzle that we needed we had two of the best practices and i told the boys i said you know we got to practice every day like it's our last practice and yeah. those two days were the best two practices I can even remember. Where was that coming, in February then sometime? That or? would have been early, I want to say early March. Okay. Because I think we shut it down right around the 16th. Yeah. Um. So it was right around then, and then everybody was kind of devastated. You could just kind of see it like, you know, all of a sudden we were done, you know. And if there was any time I wish the league would have pushed it, I wish we would have just pushed it and finished that year and not played last year. 
you know, so we could have kind of cleaned it up. But, you know, it is what it is when you look back. But Right. Well, and for those who don't remember, to finish the 1920 season, that was a 10-game unbeaten streak that you guys went on. It was a great run. You guys were right on the cusp of, of getting into the playoffs. And should you have made it into the playoffs, you would have been one of the hottest teams. Yeah, and everybody, everybody at the time was saying, we don't want to play you guys. Right. And when you hear that, it's a good feeling. You know, because, yeah. you know, yeah, we were gritty. Um, we were skilled. We had good goaltending. We'd picked up Callum Booth from Carolina. They needed a place for him, and he was really good, so he helped. And, you know, we were just kind of hitting on all cylinders, so everybody was ready to have a playoff run and then stop. So and we take the year off, and then in the year off, I really stayed away from hockey because it was just sports wasn't that much fun to watch without fans. Um, so yeah. I just kind of stayed away. Uh, got involved a little bit more with the family, hanging around the house, doing stuff around the house, you know, cleaning, going through some of our junk, getting rid of it. I started finding stuff to do. Um, so that's really all I did. And then sure your wife, Kathy, had to love that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think she wanted me to go back to work for a while there. <laughs> She's getting tired. You're of hanging anything, around you know. too much? Yeah. yeah. Me and the dog became really good friends, though. <laughs> that much, I will say. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so that was about it. And then... Then the thought of getting started again, and, you know, we had the rights to everybody, but now I said, okay, we were a little bit better last year, so what what can I do to get better this year, you know? So, you know, we lost Mally uh, in kind of a situation that I thought I didn't agree with with the way the rules were, um, but it was what it was, so we had to rebuild on the back end. And so we had Josh coming back, we had Soupy coming back, uh, Greg Campbell uh, coming back on the back end, Um so like I, Campbell Soup, I'm assuming that's yeah, that connection. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in the end, I I talked to Josh about his brother. I really like Dalton. He was a draft choice of Buffalo. He's tough. He can play. And I told him, I said, I'm not bringing you in. I don't want those guys to come in and run around. I want them to to play for us and play yeah. hard and be tough and uh, fight when you need to fight. Just don't fight to fight. You know, right. if you want to sell tickets, go ahead. But that's not necessary. The bottom line is, you fight on your terms. You become a disciplined team. Uh, you play on your terms, and and people don't like that. Yeah. They, that's uh, that's Dalton and Josh Thrower you're talking about. So was it kind of like a package deal? And they're not twins; they're two years apart. But was it kind of a package deal? We've seen brothers play together in this league, and obviously you think of the Sedin twins, the chemistry that they had, and they have played together a couple of years when they were at Allen uh, with the Americans. So was it pretty easy to get Dalton to come along with Josh, who you were already bringing back? Yeah, I kind of started the recruiting on Josh when he was in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd see Josh talking to him after the game, and I'd walk by and just say hello, you know, and introduce myself and uh, just stuff like that because you're, you're running these guys all over the place. So I talked to Dalton or to Josh in the summer. I just said, hey, you know, what's your brother going to do next year? I knew he went to Europe and everything. He's a free agent and everything. I said, would he be thinking about maybe coming and playing with you here, you know? And Dalton was – or Josh was like, yeah, that might be a great idea. we kind of been talking about it ourselves, you know. So I just called Dalton. I just said, hey, I think you'll be a good fit. I said, I don't want you running around. You don't have to fight all the time. I know he's going to fight sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I told him, I said, I want you to play. I want you to get better. I want you to have an opportunity to move up. And then I told him, you know, we were looking for a new affiliate. And then the Ottawa thing kind of got going too. So the more an Ottawa asked me if they could use our guys for call-ups, so I was like, that's perfect, exactly what I need. So then when I started talking to the guy, the guys, the interest got a little bit more because – we weren't going to get a ton of guys from Ottawa. We're getting good guys. We're getting, you know, we'll get as you know a normal amount of guys. But in the end, it'll be a good opportunity. A lot of teams don't take guys from your team. Sometimes they they'll have their own lists of guys around the league that they've had before. Sure. Know. 
Um, so this gives a chance for, for, you know, for like a Dalton or a Josh to get called up. So I think these guys, you know, they're thinking more along the lines of, we need to focus on our careers now. Yeah, we had some fun now. How serious are we? And I think the pandemic would, if it was, I mean, it woke me up quite a bit too. You know, I, I, I love the game. I've always enjoyed it. Uh, but I'm gonna, it's going to be a little bit special this year. Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned the affiliation piece, uh, that news about Ottawa coming uh, earlier here back in August about the new NHL affiliate, the Ottawa Senators of the Atlanta Gladiators. And, and that's a big recruiting piece then for you, bringing guys in? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, anytime you have an affiliation, it's good. You know, I mean, everybody thought Boston was great because they're in the Stanley Cup final, you know, and stuff like that. And they are. They're a great organization. They're great to work with. You know, I've known – I played with Bruce Cassidy. I've known – uh, you know, John Ferguson, I got to know him this year. Uh, uh, Don Sweeney, I've known for a while. He helped us out back in the day. He took a guy from us and gave us a guy, and it was a win-win for both sides, which rarely happens in this business, <laughs> uh, that someone takes – that your non-affiliate takes a guy and gives you a guy back. And I will say I've never seen it happen before in my life. So, yeah. um, And we got a guy that, you know, was big on leading us to the to the finals that year, a, guy, a kid named Milan Geich. And so – the affiliation gives you a little swagger, and then if they're involved with you and they say, you know, we we really want to help you, and I've heard that a lot of times. Uh, I didn't see sure, it a lot yeah. of times. <laughs> but this one with Ottawa, I'm telling you, is pretty special. Uh, mm. They've treated me really well. I know Troy pretty well. Uh, I know some of the guys in their organization. This was the first organization we started with back in the day. So when I when we kind of tripped over each other, and that's what happened was – we didn't have an affiliation, so I started looking through the American League and just started going through every team, you know, mm-hmm. who's doing what. And I knew Belleville was done, so I saw the Ottawa thing, and I, or I went to Belleville, and I knew Brampton was finished, so I thought, okay, well, I'll see what's going on there. And I saw Troy Mann was there, and I've known Troy forever, and I helped him out at times with some things, and, you know, we've always stayed in contact. And I reached out to him on his email and just said, I reached out to their organization and said, hey, can you get this email to Troy? Mm-hmm. Troy got right back to me, and he just said, uh, hey, this is a crazy thing, but I just had a meeting with our ownership group, and they were talking about you guys, you know? And wow, look yes, at that. Yeah, so because the Toronto to Atlanta, you know? So I'm like, well, that's a, that's awesome. And I, I'm kind of, a, if that happens, I'm kind of like, this is kind of a meant-to-be type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we started talking, and, you know, the more we talked, the more I started finding out what they needed from us, and I was like, this could be pretty unique. So... It's been really good. Like, they've gone out of their way to help us get guys. There's a couple guys that we pushed at them that they ended up, you know, liking. And so it's, you know, I've been I've been involved more res- with recruiting in their team than I've been with any other team I've ever been involved with. That's exciting. Know? Yeah, it That's is. And, and usually I wouldn't say anything. Like, I wouldn't go out of my way to say anything. But they would ask, take a look at these guys, see if you like them. You know, mm-hmm. do you know have you heard about these guys? And, you know. And so that's how we we ended up getting a couple of these guys. So, um, yeah, it's been this has been the best. You know, I'm not downplaying anybody else because we've had some good relationships with other teams, but nobody has kept us this involved um, and let me be as involved as I have been. So mm-hmm. uh, I tip my hat to those guys. That's exciting. And Ottawa has a very uh, promising pipeline of young players as well. It's kind of viewed around the league right now as one of the top. Uh, prospect pools, I guess you could say, at least around the NHL and the AHL levels as well. So it's it's pretty cool to be affiliated with that. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah, we're not going to get their top, you know, their no. 
number one picks or anything yeah. like that, but still it's it's an organization that you want to be part of. The way I see they're running things and the way I see they're doing them, um, you don't have to be, the, you know, the New York Yankees. You know, like I always – my analogy in hockey was – and I'll go to the, to the Everblades. I used to always say they'd be like, they're like the Yankees, and I'm a Minnesota fan, and we were like the Twins. <laughs> we'd be younger. We'd you know try to you know get in their face and make it difficult for them. And and then I had an owner when we were in Mobile. His name was Tiny Simmons. He passed away last summer. Uh, bless his heart. One of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. Um, but Tiny asked me when we were in Mobile. He goes, "Could we go young and win a championship?" And I said, we can go young. And I said, we can win. I said, I don't know. I said, in order for us to win a championship, we'd really have to like be clicking on all cylinders and get breaks yeah. in the whole nine yards. And we ended up going to the finals. Our first year, we had 14 rookies. Went to the conference finals that year, lost to Idaho, I think it was. Um, and we were just, you know, the ragtag kids just having fun, and then it ended. Um, and that was, that was pretty tough because that team – was the closest the first year was by far the closest team we had um and and not that they weren't close after that but the, just that team coming together at the first year and being as good as it was um it doesn't really happen that often mm -hmm. and we probably could have won a cup but we were too young to understand all of us yeah. were too young to understand what we were doing at that time well experience shouldn't be an issue with at least the core that you've put together for this year here in the 2021-2022 season, you bring back guys like Derek Nesbitt. Uh, you've got Mike Pelick in there as well. So you, you've got some you know, guys who have been around the ECHL and the AHL. They've played a lot of hockey, but they've also produced at high levels as well. They're going to be a big part of your core leadership group, I'd assume, right? Yeah, and they can play still, too. They're, they're, they're good people. They understand. And, again, I try to get people that want to do it the way I want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that the way I do it is the only way to do it, but we've been successful. And at this level, the turnover is so much that you can't be trying to do a million things, right? You mm -hmm. know, you got to be really good at the details and it's got to be simple because when guys are coming in, it's hard to, you know, teach them 15 different systems, you know? If, right. <laughs> so, so I try to keep it simple. And to me, the buy-in is everything. And we proved it two years ago and everybody looked at, and I'll go back to, I know I've told this story, but, Spiros Anastas and Soko said, you came into our, and he pointed at his board at the end of the season. He goes, you came into our rink on uh, on uh, January 6th. And he goes, you were the worst team in the league because of all the stuff that you guys went through and you rebuilt and everything. You had a lot of SB guys on your team. And I picked up Blizey and I Jake Flegel and just start bringing guys in. And we made a few good trades and everybody kind of fit together. And then the second half of the season, he said, you were the best team in the league. Mm -hmm. And I'd have, you know, a couple of coaches said, you know, how are you winning with those guys? And I said, they're 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 really good. They're playing really good. We had two older guys sitting out, Ben Danford and Brandon Truk, and those guys were the guys that were the guys that would have been the guys leading our team and being the guys. Well, they were both hurt for a long time, and they'd sit up in the stands, and we would play the simplest hockey you could probably play. And our power play and penalty kill got really good, mm -hmm. like really good. So five on five, I said, if we keep it tight, we have a chance. And, you know, call it what you want, but they started to believe it. 
you know. Yeah. And I don't know if I really believed it. So that was a I, chemistry thing. Yeah, it was. Okay. It, and, and the thing is, and, and and I'm not trying to be political here, but I've realized in the last couple of years, you can make anybody believe anything. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So I realized that you know it's kind of the, if you say it. I had a coach that used to tell me if you say it enough, you know, is when you get tired of saying it is right about when they start listening. So I just kept repeating, and I kept going. You know, you guys got to believe, and we started winning. You yeah. know, and it started like when I got here. Uh, Chris Treft said to me, you know, he just had a lineup of everything what what we hadn't done in, since I've been gone. You know, we haven't beaten Florida in like three years, or I don't even know what the numbers were. It was Old a, broadcaster, yeah, Chris yeah, Treft. It was yeah. yeah, it was ridiculous how how many times we hadn't beaten Florida. We hadn't beat Soko in this many games and at home and on the road. So he had all these things, you know, that we had to do. We never win when there's a big crowd at home. We always poop our pants, you know. Hmm. So he had all these things. Um, and so we go to Florida, and we ended up beating them 2-1. to one. And Luke Stork scored the game winner, and it was the ugliest goal I've ever seen, but yet the <laughs> most beautiful goal I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, they don't ask how. They ask how many, Yeah, right? yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and when he talked about it after the game, I'm sure it was a one-time top-shelf yeah, but in the end, uh, the that game started us, and so we had a two-to-one win there. So it started right there, you know, like okay, so there's number one, cross it off the board. We beat Florida uh, on the road. Then they came into our building a little bit later, and we started our streak. I don't remember exactly how it went, and then but we were playing everybody, like we were playing Soko, we were playing all the everybody that we needed to play. All our demons were right in front of us. Right. So we still slowly started crossing them off. Uh, we won in Soco, then we won at home against Soco, and then home against Florida, and then all of a sudden you could see the guys are like, you know, here we go. Yeah, the swagger was kind of in the locker room. It was out and about, and the fans were liking it. And the fans were telling me, even though we were losing, they go, "Man, it's exciting hockey." Anyway, we're just glad to have exciting hockey back. And then we hit that streak, and we were, like I said, we were really good and. The last five games, we had to win one against Soko, and every game was a one-goal game. And Down we, to the wire. And we, could, and we got totally screwed by a referee one night that would have put us in the playoffs the night before the season ended. And then the night where we played Saturday night in Soko, we got a goal taken away from us that would have got us back into the game, and we eventually would have been in a 4-1 situation to win. So we end up losing that game in overtime, or right at the end of the game, and it ended with Nick Bly in front of their net, three-three game, with like a minute, a minute four left, I think, something like that. And he does his signature move, and the puck comes to him all alone in front of the net, and I don't remember who it was it was their goalie, big, really big guy, uh, good goalie too, made a huge save. They come back and score with 52 seconds left. And we just, you just hear the air come out of our tires. And then after the game, our bus broke down. We didn't get home till like insult to injury. Oh yeah, man! Yeah, it was. We had to, we didn't get home till like seven and eight in the morning. It was just a nightmare. We played at three in the afternoon, and then we tied the game up late in, in the game. We had to win it. The afternoon game. Yeah, it was. So we had to. It was a Sunday. We had to pull the goalie, and uh, so we scored late in the game. And then there's like eleven seconds left. And then right off the faceoff, they went to shoot the puck down the ice, and it hit hit one of our guy's helmets and then popped up in the air. The guy went on a breakaway and scored with like three seconds left. It was like insult to injury. But the bottom line, that team deserved to make the playoffs. And right. 
and you hate to blame the refs on that one, but I, I'm going to blame it on that one because the the goal we got taken away from us was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. You bring up refs. I'm interested to hear how you deal with officiating when it doesn't go your way. I mean, like, how much are you screaming at guys? Because you haven't had an assistant um, for the last couple of years now. So, you know, if you get tossed out of the game, there's nobody behind the bench, really. So d- does that force you to kind of restrain yourself a little bit more, or do you let them have it? <laughs> uh, I don't restrain myself. <laughs> I'm a complete idiot behind the bench sometimes. Yeah. Is there any strategy to, to like what you're saying to try and, and set the officiating up for later in the game, or is it just snap show? No, like? no. It's I always have a plan when yeah. I'm doing stuff because they get intimidated at times. And I've been around the league a lot, and they maybe give me more respect. For there's times, there's times when I would throw myself out of the game if I was if I was referee right there. Like there's yeah. times when I, I would never ever take the crap that they would take from me. Um, and I get I get mad when I feel that refs aren't giving me a hundred percent. Like if they're not working on their job, because it it does has have a, a lot to do. What they do influences our job quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And they and they don't understand that, and I know it's a hard job because I used to do it and I quit doing it because I couldn't stand it because no matter what you did you were wrong, yeah. no matter what. So again, I chose the job and then I realized it was a bad job to choose, <laughs> so I, I made that decision to get out of it. So if you're going to be in it, be ready to take heat. And there's certain things I can't stand about refs is when they all get together, and they get in the huddle, and then they turn back and look at the bench, you know, and then they get back in the huddle, then they come over to you and they go. We all saw the same thing, and that's feasibly impossible from three different angles, you know. Yeah. And and I I can't stand that. I don't care if you say, hey, we didn't see it, or we might have missed this one. And then some some referees will use that the whole game, and I'm like, you can't miss everything. Like you can miss some things, but you can't miss everything. And and if like I hold players to a high standard, I hold myself to a high standard, I hold referees to a high standard, my kids to a high standard. Um, and I don't see why I should do it any other way. Now, do I handle it correctly all the time? No. Um, but the bottom line is we get a lot more power plays than a lot of other teams do. And yeah, my power, no accident. There yeah, you go. <laughs> and see, if my power play is the best in the league, then I'm going to push for power plays. And it does work. You know, sometimes it doesn't, but it does work. It does make, you know, and I look at it if someone's pissed at me because I'm calling them out on something that I believe is wrong. You know, then, like I said, in my job, I get called out. I get questioned all the time. I don't, right. go, I don't you know, it doesn't change what I do ever. Um, it just is what it is. Without an assistant coach on the bench, is it difficult, or have you just gotten used to, like, being able to call the forward lines and the D lines and, and manage everything on the bench? Have you just kind of gotten accustomed to, to handling everything yourself back there? Yeah, but it's not perfect. It never will be, but the, the bottom line is uh, – you know, every day I have 22 coaches in the locker room, and I've got probably, you know, on the average four to 5,000 a night in the stands. So <laughs> I really feel like I have a lot of support when I'm there. Um, but in the end, it's, you know, the team knows a lot. There's nights when I could go and not be behind the bench, and they know in situations who's going out, you know, mm-hmm. consistently. Um but the bottom line, there are sometimes I fall asleep at the wheel because I'm paying attention to the game a little bit more and not paying attention to the D or whatever. Um, but I've had assistant coaches before. Um, and what happened was I had one guy, the first couple of years I was here, 
and it didn't work out and I was kind of he was pushing on me the second year and it didn't work out the second year either um and so after I did it without him we started doing better so the GM just said well you don't really if need it ain't one. broke don't fix it yeah. yeah so I went all right and so yeah I was making good money so I didn't say nothing <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough uh it, it kind of feels like the team in Atlanta here has to reintroduce itself a little bit just because the Gladiators, you know, opted out of this past year. This would be a good opportunity to kind of reintroduce you a little bit. I want to go back to uh, to your playing days, uh, back to the start when uh, when you were a Northern Michigan Wildcat. Yep. Right? Um, so back in the late 70s, early 80s at NMU, you put up some, some monster numbers. Uh, what was that like playing in college? And, and I'll ask you about some of your teammates here coming up too. Oh, geez. When I first got to college. Have I you hate... seen the NMU like record books? Because you're up there in a lot of those, uh, those team rankings. Uh, I looked at them a long time ago because when we were – when the year we got out and I left, I was given some information by mm-hmm. our press guy. So I looked at some of that stuff. And – I didn't really realize. I mean, I I knew I was good, um, but it's never really been a thing for me. Like it's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how to put it. I loved playing the game. Um, it was the most life changing experience for me. It was the most fun I ever had. Uh, the thing I I enjoyed the most being part of hockey. Um, did I need credit for what I did? Not really. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I was blessed to be able to go to school uh, because I was a hockey player. wasn't a great student, my own fault. Um, I knew I was a construction worker. That's what I thought I was going to do. I wasn't very good growing up, so I didn't plan on going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of tripped as I got older and kind of fell into getting a little bit better. I'm not really sure why. I think it was because I played more. Uh, one year I got cut from my high school hockey team in Minnesota as a junior. As a sophomore, I didn't even try out. As a junior, I tried out. That was a group of guys I always played with, and I got cut that year. And then I started on a like a midget team, and then I got called up to the junior varsity. And then, and I didn't even make the junior varsity that year as an 11th grader. So uh, and then I got called up to the junior varsity, and then I started playing really well there, and then I got called up to the varsity that year. Um, and didn't play very much, but still – Towards the end of the season, I started playing really well. I got a little more ice time, and I was playing really well. And we went to the state tournament, and I got cut from the team because uh, they said they were going to take the seniors with them. So you're telling me as a junior, you barely made the JV team. I didn't make the JV didn't, team. Didn't make the JV no, team. Because this is the same guy that would then, as a junior at Northern Michigan, put up 88 points in 40 games. Like, I mean, what happened? Like, was it a growth thing? Did you just get that much better? Or was your high school team just loaded with NHL guys? No, we were loaded. (laughs) I mean, we we were growing up, we were always the best in Minnesota. We were always in the top five. Mm-hmm. When I was PWA, we were always in the, when I was PWB. So it was a good team. Yeah, it was a good team. We had a lot of good players. Um, we had a couple guys that went to the University of Minnesota. Um, I ended up playing for the Junior Stars after, and, and again, I tried out for the team. I didn't make it, so I went and played Junior B for a coach I knew, and I was just tearing it up, like just literally tearing it up, and uh, so. 
the next year I went out for the Junior Stars, and I was playing for the Junior Stars the, that year, and then I quit because I wasn't playing, and the coach was, said, well, you know, why did you quit? And I said, well, I never play. So it doesn't make any sense for me to be here. So mm -hmm. I played Junior B, and I played all the time, and I got confidence, and I think that right there that year was the difference. And it, was, it was a, wasn't a good league, but I got to play a lot and did well. And then the next year I went to the Junior Stars. I was the leading scorer. Not sure why, uh, but I was. And then uh, the coach at Northern Michigan was coming to look at another kid. And mm -hmm. so you stole well, a spotlight, huh? Well, he he was coming to look at a couple kids, I think. And then I, I apparently had a really good practice, so after practice, I was invited to this little, you know, whatever. And so they introduced themselves, and they just said, you know, we're interested in you guys. We'd like to, you know, visit your family, so we're going to come back. So they made appointment to visit our families, and they came in and they offered me a scholarship, and they a half scholarship, and I just said, uh, if if all my, they said you could you could uh, apply for basic grant. And I said, well, if that doesn't cover it, I'm, my mom's not going to pay for, for college. So I said, if it's not covered, I'm not coming. So they checked it out. The basic grant covered half. Uh, the scholarship covered the rest. So I went to Northern Michigan. Uh, I was miserable first couple months there. Uh, we were doing coaches' practices, and it was just shinny. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm not good at shinny, but I, was just, I just wasn't, wasn't playing well then. So I stopped skating. And I told my roommate, I said, when we put the pads on, I'll be better. And I thought, I wasn't sure, but I thought I'd be better. Um, then training camp started. We had a rookie camp, and I was, I felt I was probably the best guy in that camp. And so that camp went, went through, and I was fine. And then the second camp started, and I did really good in that camp. Um, and so, you know, here we were starting our season we started with some softies like Air Force and St. Scholastica and some teams like that. My first game, I had a hat trick. Not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it started. And, yeah. Um, you know, I did pretty good season my first year. I think I had 42 points. And the first season, first half of the season, I kind of lit it up. Second half, I was okay. And my coach said, you know, second half of the season, you only scored two goals. Um, any reason why? And I said, I don't know. And he's showing me video, and he goes, here's from the first half, you were all around the net. Second half, you were kind of more, I don't know. He goes, maybe you were thought more, maybe as a playmaker more, but you stopped going to the net. So the next year, I started going to the going net. Going back to yeah. the net, back to the hunting yeah. pot. So second year was 63 points, and that's when I started hearing from, like, uh, agents and uh, scouts and stuff like that. I want to talk about that 1979-1980 team. Um, when you had – that was your sophomore year, 63 points, 41 games. You played alongside some guys who would go on to have pretty successful NHL careers as well. You got Tom Laidlaw, 705 games in the NHL. Steve Bozak, 941 in the National League. Uh, Steve Weeks, the goaltender, just under 300, and then Don Waddell, who's now, of course, the general manager with the Carolina Hurricanes. Did you guys like kind of know the careers that you would all go on to have? Was that apparent at the time? Um, I don't know. I didn't. I never. I never really looked ahead. Um, I knew Donnie was really good. Like he was amazing. He was really good offensive. He had really unbelievably smart. I learned a ton from him. Like, a ton just from watching him. Um, Tom Laylaw was the toughest defenseman I ever played against, and 
he used to have this thing where he'd go um he'd come in he's lefty so he'd come in and he wasn't a great offensive defenseman but he got better in his senior year and he could kind of hold off like two or three guys he'd come in he'd hold the puck out on one stick and he said he always say he goes follow me in he goes i'll run into the goalie take him out and you just <laughs> just you know dump in the plow the road uh, the rebound and then he'd do it and i scored a couple times like that you know and his thing he never scored a goal in college like his first three years he never scored a goal Wow. So he 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 said he goes if I ever score a goal, he goes I'm gonna take my helmet off and I'm gonna snap my stick over my head. So he's a bit of a psycho. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They used to. They were the guys that would go to the bar and they'd chew glass and stuff like that. Him and Keith Hansen. Keith was another guy that played in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, he was six foot five. Lades was like six three or six four, and uh, so. Those like we knew Laidlaw was going to be in in the NHL. He tried out for the Olympics. Donnie tried out for the Olympics too uh, in '80. Uh, Donnie had a little sniff. Uh, Lades went to the Canadian camp, didn't make it. You know, um, but he probably should have. I mean, he was the best, toughest defenseman that I ever played with, and we had a weird relationship. I had a lot of respect for him. I was a rookie, and. Uh, our coach used to say that I was like the ringleader in the first year for all the rookies because we always hung out together. Everything we did, we did together. Um, and we were pretty tight. And we got along with the juniors and the the sophomores and the juniors. We didn't have any seniors my first year. So we got along with the sophomores and the juniors, but the juniors and the sophomores were like they didn't get along. Mm. So we had an issue where we had a – and we had one kid, this Steve Cluche, that got – we had a really good – recruiting class like our class that came in we had steve bozak steve kluche we had myself we had a lot of good rookies coming in that year so our team was really good that year that was the first year where we started to really start to step up and then so we had a meeting because there were some issues where we had steve kluche got caught out uh with his girlfriend past curfew or whatever something stupid you know it was yeah. a really big deal but they didn't like him so and he roomed, Make an example of him and he roomed with them Okay. As a rookie, he was the only rookie that got to go off campus. Oh he man, was, just isolated. Yeah, he was a big wig type guy. Like he was, he was supposed to be the hottest recruit, but he wasn't the best. So he probably got torched on both sides for that then a little bit. Yeah, huh? he did, and he would call the our coach Rick. Yeah, nobody did that. Nobody in their right mind did that. Yeah. So guys didn't like him, and dude, and Laidlaw, <laughs> Tom was a great leader. He was a guy that would go, like if there was a two on one, and he didn't like you because you weren't doing things right in practice. When that pass went to you, he wouldn't care if you passed to me and I went on a breakaway. He was going to run the crap out of that guy. And that's how I was taught to control your locker room as a captain. Like, if guys aren't in, then they're out. And that's the way – that's the way I took it. And so when – Yeah, and that's kind of what you've carried into coaching a little bit too. You know, if you're not in, you're out – having guys buy in and that's what is that what you were mentioning uh with that run at the end of the 1920 season then as well right yeah yeah and, and i'm kind of a and, and in that situation especially college you're you're brothers man and it's when one guy goes everybody goes that's just the way it is and sometimes it's you know you have your issues so we had this big meeting and uh the coach had asked us during the season he wanted to have Three, he was trying to get us to be unified, so he wanted to have three different captains, one from the juniors, one from the sophomores, and one from the freshmen. So he asked me, he goes, if if I make you captain, you know, 
would you be okay with it? And I said, if, if I make you one of the captains. And I said, I would be okay with it. But I said, I don't think these guys would be okay with it. Mm-hmm. I said, but it's up to you if you want to do it. So he decided not to do it. And I was glad he decided not to do yeah. it. Because it I'm not saying it was a bad idea. It just wasn't a good idea. Oh, put you in a tough spot too. Yeah, but he wanted one from each group just to kind of get us to come together. So we have this big meeting and – they're talking about all this stuff about this kid going out and all this stuff. And, and so I'm sitting there and coach knew, uh, he knew that I was opinionated, you know, I I probably should have, shouldn't have ran my mouth at times, but I did. And I was always taught by my mother, say your opinion. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, apologize, but don't be afraid to say it. So coach calmly, dragged me into this meeting and says you know he goes Gomer what do you think and I sat there and for about 10 seconds I went do I say something do I not say something do I say something so I looked at the guys and I said you know you guys room with with Kluch and I said you know we're supposed to be a team and I said my opinion is I said you guys pick and choose who you want to support and who you don't want to support. And I said, you don't like Steve. So you squealed on him. I said, this is something that that the coach should never see. This is something we should handle inside. I said, the only question I got for you guys, and it was the three captains, it was Tom Laidlaw, um, Walt Kyle, and I don't know who the other cat, I can't remember who the other cat, Dan McCarrigan. And I said, if that would have been me, would you guys have squealed? And Tom Laidlaw looked at me and he went, no. I said, there's our problem. Yeah. And and I didn't say another thing. So I go out on the ice. Tom Laidlaw comes over to me. He goes, Gomer? He goes, I didn't like what you said. He goes, but you had the balls to say it. (laughs) (laughs) So does that mean you're not going to run me on a (laughs) two-on-one? I took a deep breath. And when he came over to me, I was like, because he was pretty intimidating. And when he came over to me, I was like, yikes. Here am we I, go. Yeah. Have to it's been a good myself? run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but after that, we kind of came together. Yeah. And then the next year, we were 34, 6, and something. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, your junior year, you had, a, you had a great year there. Um, and then you make the jump to, to pro, and you have a great – Great career in North America. Um, I, I specifically want to ask about the the 86-87 year where you have 136 points in 82 games and you are the MVP of the league, but you're a second-team all-star. Now, I've heard this story before, but I want you to tell it again because this always cracks me up. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought I played really well, and mm. I was waiting for an opportunity to get called up. And back in the day, you know, you needed someone – to be pushing you. Right. You know, I mean, it, it was tough to break, especially as American, it was tough to break break in. Um, so that year, playing really well, and uh, we get to the, and there was a kid on our team, Greg Tebbett, who was a good player, but he was just a donkey, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was overweight, and he was one of those guys that just rubbed you wrong all the time. So the season goes on, and uh, we have a middle of the season, I hit this hot spot where I was down by like 20 points in the scoring race. And I just started, everything was going my way, like everything. 
running the power play. I was scoring that way. I was doing, you know, whatever was going on. So it ended up being, um, you know, we get towards the end of the season and they're voting for MVP and All-Stars and everything. And so they come out and the All-Star team comes out and uh, we have... Uh, Greg Tebbett's a first-team All-Star in defense, and he deserved it. Like he's a nice guy. He's a good player, but I, you know, I th I thought he deserved to be on the on the first team, and I was on the second team as an All-Star. And uh, it kind of hurt. I'm sitting there like, what do I got to do? Like, what do I got to do? Yeah. You know. So I come out second-team All-Star, and he says to me, he goes, "Well, at least they know." Who the good players are? Come on! Yeah, and I bit, come on! Yeah, I bit my lip. I did. I bit my lip, and it was. I was like, yeah, you know what? What? what I mean, what can I say? Well, you know, am I going to come back? And I'm like, oh, I scored. You know, I, I just said bit my lip. So a couple of days later, they come out with the MVP of the league, and I'm MVP of the league with Josh or with uh, Jock Collender. And so, I'm usually not very revengeful, but I walked. But but I walked right up to him and I said. Chuck, you're right. They do know who the best <laughs> players are. <laughs> oh, all-time line right there. Yeah, and so Dennis DeRoger, who was our coach, he said, he goes, Jeff, he goes, uh, he goes. the reason that happened was because, because you played defense. I was, that year I played half the season defense, half the season at forward. Um, and I was really good at defense, and I was really good at forward. So in the end, uh, I got votes, you know, to be on the all-star team on defense and I got votes at forward. I didn't have enough votes in any one category to be on the first team all-star, but they didn't combine the votes. So I was a second team all-star. You got to think that somebody's sitting in a league office looking at that, like realizing that you're on both forward and defense, but is still refusing to combine those. But well, to me it was, it's kind of been the highlight of my life, you know, cause I don't think anybody else can say that. And you had asked me, you said, are there other players that, you know, who would you say that you've coached or anything that, that remind you of you? And I said, nobody. Because I don't remember anybody that could play defense. And I am, I will be arrogant as good as I did and could play forward the same way. So I just looked at it like, you know, and then our, at that time, you know, our our rosters were small. So once we were shorthanded, like, Dennis DeRoja said, Does, can anybody play defense? I said, I can, you know, because I did in the summer. I played all the time because my coach said, if you learn to play all the positions, then you'll know the upside, downside from it, what passes you want, what passes you don't, and that's stuck in my head. And I heard you say that, you know, at that time, this is in the mid to, to later 80s, you know, in the minor leagues, there's not really a development process. There's no, like, concentrated effort to, to help push guys along. And now – you've taken over that role and that's something that you take pride in is helping move guys up and, and get them to that next level and advance their careers. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I don't think we saw one NHL person come to a game when I played. I don't remember seeing any of those guys other than the guys, you know, that were there like, cause there was the coaches were ex NHL players and stuff like that. But Scouts weren't really scouting those those the leagues or anything. If you got like I said, the call up I did get was I go to Europe for I don't know how many years. Uh, uh, well, I went to Europe for the first year and I didn't like it, so I came back. Um, and so I had signed with the Blackhawks, and they were the affiliate in Saginaw. So I signed with them, and halfway through the season, I get a call from them. 
because uh, I worked my way through, missed the first 25 games or whatever, and so then I worked my way through catching up, and I'm the leading scorer on the team. So they just called me, and they just said, pack a bag. It was a Sunday. We just had three and three. I was dead tired. Like, I was just dead tired. And I get up early because the phone rings. And it's, uh, Jeff, pack your bag. Uh, we Dennis Savard has a hurt foot. If he can't get his foot into a skate, you're, gonna, you're going up. Uh, we'll call you up at noon, fly into Chicago, and you'll be playing between Steve Larmer and Steve Thomas. And they were playing Edmonton that night. So I was just like, just so excited I couldn't even think. Mm-hmm. Packed my bag. That'd be top six minutes too with those two guys. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, if you were ever going to get a chance, that would have been the night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so um, the call comes. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't going up and everything. So I mean, you're disappointed, but again, it, it wasn't like I didn't do everything I could possibly do. Right. Um, so I never really looked at it like I didn't make it to the NHL, or I never really looked at it like I, you know. I did everything I could. I put up all the numbers I could. I've been as successful as I could. So it, it doesn't really bother me. It bothers my brother a lot. Really? He always says, uh, oh, you were American. And I don't really think it was because I was American. You know, sometimes you just it just doesn't work, you know, for right. whatever reason. Well, and you said you put up all the numbers you could. I, I just, I, I kind of laugh reading this out, but 671 pro games for you between North America and Europe, 1,077 points. So about 1.3 points per game over the course of your career is pretty insane. But now it, it is neat that you get to take on the role that um, – a role that didn't really exist when you played, and, that, and that's to kind of serve as that conduit to the next level for these players. And you've helped move a lot of guys up. Um, and I know some of the most successful teams that, that you've had with the Gladiators, when they were the Gwinnett Gladiators back in the early 2000s, had a lot of those call-ups. Um, and, and how do you balance, you know, being competitive at this level in the ECHL while also trying to move guys up? Because that's kind of almost like you're serving two masters there. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, I've always said you hope a guy gets called up and you hope he gets a chance up there. And if he sticks, great. You know, if he doesn't, you hope he's going to come back and battle for you. And, and I just look at it that uh, if we're not developing players and moving them up, then what are we doing? And and I had a reputation where coaches would call me and just say, "Listen, Jeff, I know you're short, but you know you're the only coach that'll answer your phone." You know, and I was like, "Yeah, I get it, no problem." You know, and so uh, I had a reputation of moving guys up, and that's what helped us. You know, the one year we went to the finals, we had 15 guys on our team. 15 different guys on our team went up to nine different American League teams. I don't think anybody's ever done that. That's crazy. Yeah, that, that's it was, crazy. It was ridiculous. It really was. And and so that's that was my reputation. Agents would literally send their guys to us because they knew they were going to get played and they were going to get moved up and every opportunity. And I always say, if you don't like it here, I'll move you anywhere you want to go. I don't care. If it's Florida, like, it doesn't matter to me if I trade a guy to Florida or not. I'm not, you know. If I'm afraid of that one person beating me, then I shouldn't be doing this job, you know. And uh, I'm not insecure about, you know, being shorthanded, or I'm not insecure about if we're, in, you know. I just I feel maybe I'm again you can call it arrogant. I feel I can win with anybody at any time, yeah. and not because I'm a great coach or anything like that. I just think that th- these kids can move mountains if they want to. Right. I really believe that. And I, I did want to uh, kind of jump in ship here. I, I was told to 
uh, ask you uh, about some, some maybe bus incidents in the past, leaving guys behind on the bus when you're traveling? I mean, it, with as long as you've been coaching now, let's see, tw- you'll be entering your 22nd year as a head coach. It's got to happen sometimes. Somebody gets left behind on a bus. Is that, has that ever happened? Yeah, it does. And it's, it's tough because you get in sometimes after the game, you know, you're – whether you're mad, you're happy, whatever, you start to – or you're calling family after the game or whatever. So you you get on the bus at the end, and everybody's getting on the bus. And it's usually the last couple of guys that get on or usually hoops and those guys, the equipment guys. Everything's good. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah, we're good. So when they say we're good – and the thing about it was Dustin would sit right up by us too, and we'd always talk together and stuff. But in the end, the bottom line, you think he's on, and it's a normal time frame as any other game, but this night it would take a little longer or whatever would happen. So the broadcaster? Yeah, Dustin, or, or they, sometimes yeah. a player would, you know, I mean, you know that this is the thing I don't get. You know the time frame of when we're leaving, the whole nine yards. And so certain guys may not figure it out, you know. And we usually do a head count, and everybody says, yeah, we're all here. Everybody does it. You know, we're, is everybody here? Yeah, everybody's here. So guys don't see it either, and then all of a sudden we'll get a call, and some of you know, like, oh, you forgot me. Oh, yeah. So we turn around, we go back. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy because you get so much other stuff on your mind, and as a coach, as soon as that game's over, you're thinking about the next one, and you're yeah. oh my god, or or we just got a call up now. I got to get this guy ready to go. We got to drop him off here or whatever. So it's just it's it's the most stressful job as far as it never ends. You know, you get about a month in the summer where you can just deflate, you know. Um, but other than that, it's it's the most hands-on job. Where, what's the farthest you've gone in the bus before realizing you didn't have somebody? I don't know. It would probably have been a couple miles. Okay. That's it. It so, was like so we went 15 minutes. Or barely anything. out of town. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and usually we get like, catch it right away. But I start trusting. You know, you start trusting that everybody else is going to look out for each other. And usually sometimes I would just get up and I'd do the head count, you know. And, mm. and the, the funny thing about this business is, and again, we're hockey players, but we'll have a head count three times we'll have three different numbers. So yeah. I'm not really sure. Guys are laying down yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so you got to really sometimes, you can, I'm like, Jesus Christ, can we not figure this out? You know, like we can't <laughs> figure who we came with, who we're going back with, you know. Yeah. yeah, so it's a little bit on all of us. But, yeah, I, I'm the one that should be should be a little bit more, you know, maybe coherent to that, I guess, because <laughs> it is important to not leave someone behind. You know? Right. Um, but thank God we can laugh about it now because at the time it's like, oh, my God, you know, so. Yeah, especially, I mean, if you got a bad game or something, you're trying to get out of there, back to the hotel, yeah. back to wherever, and yeah. last thing you want to do is go back to that arena, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about goalies and how you address goaltenders because it seems like, you know, talking to them is taboo around the locker room. You don't want to talk to them if they're having a great night. You don't, uh, obviously, if they're having a bad night, um, you don't want to talk to them then. So, like, how do you deal with goaltenders as a coach? Uh, I I try not to. I really don't. I truly, <laughs> Leave um, them alone. Well, I've always said like I I'm not a big like, uh, I don't know. You go through like I'll I'll give you some examples. You get some guys like an Adam Burkhold, you know, Sean Fields, you know, guys that are just the most normal everyday human beings, you know. And yeah, they have their little things and and stuff like that. But for the most part, they're pretty good. And then you have other guys. We had a guy named Mike Buckley who would get so. And he's a goalie coach. I don't know for an NHL team somewhere. Um, but he would go out and he wouldn't have his, his helmet, his goalie mask. He'd be standing, getting ready to go out, and he wouldn't have his mask on. And the guys would go, "Hey, you got to put your helmet on." He'd go, "Oh, you go run back and get it," or he'd forget his cup. Like as a goalie, for all the things in the world, you're going to forget. Like all of a sudden, he'd be standing there, you know, just ready to go out, and he'd have to run back. 
you know, at the last second when, you know, it takes him 10 minutes to get, you know, take undress and get your cut back on. Yeah. So, yeah. They're, they're, the helmet one shocks me. I mean. Yeah, but the, just the weird the weird things that they all have. Like, when I was with Steve Weeks at Northern, he had a thing. And it wasn't weird. It was just that I was. he always said, you're the last guy. I want you to slap my pads with your stick and just say up and together. So that was my deal. <laughs> so I just whack his pads and go up and together. We see up and together, you know. He asked you to say that yeah. like before every time. Okay. Yeah, so I was the last guy, so I'd always just whack him. Because I usually just go up and just kind of give him a little whack, you know. And so he says, just do that and then just say that. So everybody's got their own little thing. And um, when I went to the NHL, I sat – my first NHL camp was in Hartford, and I had Dave Keon on one side who played for the Minnesota Fighting Saints. And I had Mike Visor on the other side. who They're both veterans. And, you know, so I go walking in the first day, and I'm really nervous. And so Dave Keon's there, and I go, I introduced myself, and he goes, oh, where are you from? I go, Minneapolis. He goes, oh, I played there. I go, yeah, I know. I was watching when I was a kid. And he's like, oh, wait, wait, take, take it easy there. You know, like. <laughs> so and then Mike Visor laid his pads down. He goes, okay, Jeff. He goes, this is how it goes. He goes, you're okay. You can touch any of my stuff. Don't worry. No big deal. He goes, but once I lay my pads down, don't touch them. So I sat in my stall. I just scrunched together and just, you know, tried to stay out of everybody's way. And it was just amazing. You know, you're there and uh, Gordy Howe was at the camp and Mark and Marty are playing in the camp. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's hard to realize where you're at. Yeah. It really is. I mean, I, 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 I'm the guy that looks around and goes, I can't believe I'm here, you know. Um, So that was amazing. And then, you know, like I said, on top of this, on top of that, once I got into coaching and I started to do the rookie camps, which they have now for development and all this stuff, and the and the summer camps for the you know for the rookies and everything, it's just the, you know their development camps and all that stuff. It's amazing to do that, and all the people you see, the NHL people, like everybody, you know, from thirty-two teams is at these tournaments, whether it's scouts, whatever. So just the networking and everything was amazing, and just the fun I had gotten to. You know, to coach all those high-end guys, you know, your Brian Littles, Toby Enstrom, you know, any of those guys that were come, coming right down the pipe, you know, Danny Heatley, all those guys that were coming through, you know, it was just, like I said, and I had the best job ever because I wasn't connected to anybody, so nobody hated me, you know. Uh, yeah. There was nothing I was doing that was going to hurt anybody, you know, so I had the best job of everybody. I really did. In that situation with the affiliation with Atlanta, I couldn't have had a better job. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, speaking of having a lot of star talent around, you were the coach for three all-star games. Um, what is that like? I mean, how hard are guys going in those games? Oh, it's sloppy. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's great. To, you go there and it's a great three or four days and, you know, you just, you just get to it's say. Fun. Yeah, it's it fun. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's just nice. It's a nice weekend, a getaway where you can network. There's no pressure. You got no video. You just go out there and you stand behind the bench. They have skills thing one night. You're just eating meals and talking and just, it's really, it's really fun. And it's something that, uh, you know, I had great memories of it and not so much of the game or anything, just, just being around the people. One was out in Fresno. So I got to go out to California. Kathy's mom and dad and her brother came, you know, and got to hang out with me there. So that was fun. Um, but I would it, imagine that all-star game coach has got to be one of the easiest coaching positions on the face of the planet. I mean, these guys are just kind of going out doing their own thing, right? Well, it's funny because the first year I go there and I'm with Dave Farish, and Dave's a real take charge thing, and he says, I'm going to be there a day early because I'm going to set everything up. And I said, I'm, I'm coming in a day after. So he says, I'll take the first <laughs> practice. Are you? Oh, sure. No problem. 
So he did the first practice, and the guys were complaining about it. Like when I got there, they're like, "Man, he's running us ragged." Like it's an all-star game, you know. And I'm right. Like, hey, sorry, man. I don't know. I wasn't here, you know. So then the next, I get there the second day, and he goes, "Hey, do you want to run practice forever?" And he goes, "Cause I got some stuff I'd like to do." I go, no, you you go ahead. Cause, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to. I just wanted to be there. Like, yeah. I didn't. I didn't care about coaching or anything. I just wanted to be there and. You know, just say hello to everybody and the meal. And I'll know. be at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah you yeah, go ahead, yeah, run the yeah, drills. Hey, whatever you need. <laughs> um, and that's just the way I felt about it. I was, I'm, I'm not an ego guy. I, like, this is my job. It's no different than. And I think I told you the story the other day. My my son would say, I worked at a, I worked at a, we were out in California and we were, uh, we had some family issues that we had to take care of, and so I had a job at a at a hotel, and I loved it. I got to tear stuff apart and fix stuff. I didn't even know what I was doing. I'd Google it, and then I'd do it. And if I did it wrong, I'd just start over again, and I could fix it. And so I learned to do a lot of things. And I was decent at it before that, working with my hands, but I thought it was pretty good after that. So I had to take a toilet out, and I had to take it and pull it right up and re-wax it and clean it and you know check all the stuff and make sure the water was this and that. And then below it was a ceiling that was had leaked in, so I had to redo some of the ceiling. And it was some hard work. But it was stuff that I was a little nervous about doing, but I did it and it looked really nice. And I got home that night and I was kind of pumped about it, you know. And yeah. So, yeah, I got this toilet done. My son said to me, he goes, Dad, he goes, you get just as excited when you win a hockey game as when you fix a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I, I think I'm going to take that as a compliment, son. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're doing all that stuff uh, at the hotel, right? Like yeah. that. So you can mess up there. You don't. You don't have to worry about uh, about doing it to your own place. Yeah, and the thing about it is, whenever I bought something at the hotel for them, I always made sure I bought something for me. So their budget was my budget was on oh, their budget double too. Dip. Yeah, because yeah, I started doing okay. So now I know I'm going to need this stuff when there's mold. Okay, I need. So it was a great, like I said, I, and I loved. I did. I loved the job. I loved the people I was working with, and you know, I know it was a just a maintenance job, but I could work at my own hours. He just said, "Yeah, as long as you're there when you need us," you know. So it was. Uh, it, I like that, and, and and sometimes getting away from hockey is really. I worked at Lowe's for a while too. I had three jobs at one time. I was working at Lowe's. I was working UPS, running, running packages, and then I was doing a hockey team at one point too. So just a kids team. So I was helping out, doing a lot right. of stuff, and it was just keeping me busy and making sure we stayed at even keel for that year until I got back into coaching and stuff. So right. Yeah. Well, now here you are about to enter your 15th year as head coach of this franchise, going all the way back to uh, the Mobile, Alabama days. It'll be your 22nd year as a head coach. Coach, we are all excited. I mean, do you have any kind of closing thoughts here as we wrap things up and as we look forward to the start of the season? Uh, no, it's been a great ride. i got to say that. Uh, I've had you know a ton of support from all the fans in here from, from day one. Um, I love the people here. They deserve a championship. You know, they've been behind us forever. Um, they've got a good group of kids coming in this year. I like the team. We're going to be tough. We're going to be a little bit younger, but we're going to be good. And Ottawa's done a great job with us. So we've got about a month and a half. I was just talking to Nessie about that today. we got about six weeks to maybe find one more player. Um, I'm making a trade today that I kind of like. Uh, yeah. It's the Hugo Wah for right. Avery Peterson trade. I love Petey, but he wanted to move. Um and the place I wanted to move him to kind of blew up, and I was kind of handcuffed, so I did what was best for us in the end. Um, mm. Got us a good young player in Hugo who I really like, and I'm, I'll miss Petey, but uh, we talked this morning, and I wish him nothing but the best. So yeah, um, that's the thing I love about this job is every day there's something new about it that's a positive, and uh, 
this year's going to be special. Like I said, it might be my last one, but it's going to be special for everybody because I think uh, after what we've all been through the last year and a half, a little normality would be, you know, be sweet. A newfound appreciation for the game, no doubt. Well, Coach Jeff Pyle, thank you so much for joining us here, and we'll have to have you on again, again throughout the season, and good luck as things start to ramp up throughout September and then here into October. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate what you do. That was the head coach of the Atlanta Gladiators, Jeff Pyle, and we want to thank Coach Pyle for coming on the podcast here and sitting down. He's the the type of guy who you could talk to just for hours and hours and, and really talk to him about just about everything. So we appreciate him coming on and, and telling us some of his stories, and we look forward to getting him back onto the podcast as we continue on throughout the season. We do want to thank you for tuning in here to the first episode, the inaugural episode of the Atlanta Gladiators podcast, and we look forward to bringing you more stories and more Gladiators content throughout this season and the seasons to come. So once again, I'm Mike Folta. You can tune in uh, right here or wherever you get your your podcasts, uh, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or what have you. We encourage you to go follow the Gladiators as well, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at ATL Gladiators. Uh, look us up on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn as well. So thanks a bunch for joining us here on the Atlanta Gladiators podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>